0: I believe you're continuing from where we left off last uh, weekend, last Sunday. Last Sunday we looked at the experience of Jesus at about the age of 12. And before I proceed, uh, as she has said, uh, my name is Harold. I'm a father, a husband. Um, my family is around somewhere. Bless the Lord for the privilege of parenting alongside in Danu. So we last week looked at uh, the experience of Jesus at uh, about the age of 12 when his parents uh, brought him to the temple which uh, appearance, he astounded the doctors of the law uh, with his knowledge. Then, after that experience, the Bible is silent the next approximately
1: eight years
0: now Luke moves to the appearance of one John the Baptist as he fulfills his mission as the herald of the coming king and uh, at the outset of Luke chapter 3 he gives us a historical framework he meticulously paints that picture. And the Lord allowing in days to come, if we will have time, it's interesting to look into the details of the, the, the time frame that, that Luke uh, paints for us. But we will not do that today. We will only but uh, brush over that. And in giving the dates of the commencement of John the Baptist's uh, ministry, Luke points us to six main historical reference points. And I'll read uh, from the New King James Version. I'll be reading as we expound and as we go along, so it will not just be reading continuously and also kindly flow along with me. Verse 1, now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, And Herod, and here we're not referring to Herod the Great, we're referring to one of his sons, Herod Antipas, being tetrarch of Galilee. And the word tetrarch here to us may be new, but the meaning of it is one who was in charge of a fourth of the region, a fourth of the region. So what happened was, just before Herod the Great leaves the scene, the region is split into four areas. And three of his sons are in charge of um, the three of those areas. And so Herod Antipasia was the tetrarch, uh, tetrarch of Galilee, um, and his brother Philip, the tetrarch of Iturea, and the region of Trachonitis and Lysania. Here was the tetrach of Abilene. Verse 2. While Annas and Caiaphas. Again, Annas and Caiaphas. Take note of that. While they were high priests. Still telling us about the time frame. These other rulers were tetrachs. We had um, Pontius Pilate being the governor. And now we have two high
1: priests
0: are not, so, not so ordinary picture because we know from way back that we only had one high priest at, a, at, at any given season so in this case we have two and it's interesting that we have two because the first priest that is mentioned, Annas was ideally their religious Leader, The Jews religious leaders. But because of the political scenario, the Romans sought to replace him. And so they had, I believe, two or three other um, priests come in before Caiaphas was uh, high priest. But then Annas playing the religious role, Caiaphas then played the political role. Uh, role. He was more of a political leader under the appointment of Rome. Now, during that season, the word continues to tell us the word of God. Excuse me, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. Apparently, he had been in the wilderness for quite some time. So, the word of God comes to him while he is in the wilderness, and you look at that statement came. To him, and it has a connotation of the word of God coming upon him in heavy power, such that he could not do much about it save respond by doing what it is that the Lord was instructing him to do. So the word of the Lord came to John, son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. And verse 3 he went into all the region around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance. For the remission of sins. Take note of that as well. A baptism of repentance. For the remission of sins. So as we said it's time for John to leave the wilderness. And God is sending him on a mission. The mission was prophesied apparently. In the days of old. Um, the mission is to prepare the way for the coming Messiah. In the ancient world, what would happen when a visiting king was to come to a region is you'd have envoys sent way ahead of the visit, and they would go asking the natives to clear the road, you know, if there were portholes and all, to level those out if there are valleys, to you know, fill those up. And so this is kind of the same mission that John is given, only that he's not speaking to the physical surrounding. He's not speaking to the physical
1: surrounding. And there's a new requirement here the new requirement that
0: John speaks of is one of baptism. That the Jews were to be baptized for the remission of their sins. And we may not really understand how radical that concept was to the Jews. Um, Because prior to this time, only one other kind of baptism existed. And it was of great con- great significance to the Jews, and it, it was referred to as the proselyte baptism. What it was is, it was a cleansing ritual that uh, the Jews imposed on the Gentiles. If you say wanted to become part of the Jewish religion, Judaism, then apart from, of course, being circumcised, apart from you know subscribing to the, uh, the teachings of the, the religion, you had to also be baptized. You had to be baptized. You had to take a bath. And it was as a symbol of the cleansing. But that requirement was only for the Gentiles. Now, John is speaking to the Jews and he's asking them to be baptized. And we need to understand one thing here. And that's why I said take note of that type of baptism. It needs to be clearly understood that this is not the New Testament baptism that we see Jesus demonstrate. It isn't the baptism that is the covenant sign that Jesus instituted. It is but a preparatory baptism. Something close to the proselyte baptism that they had originally imposed on the Gentiles. Uh, Worth noting also is that there are many points of contact between John's baptism and Jesus' baptism, but they're not identical. They're not the same. Uh, This is where there's some similarities, but they're not the same. The former is given to the Jews because what God is actually saying through John is the kingdom of God is at hand the Messiah is about to appear your salvation has come close and yet you are not ready you are not ready so before he comes you must repent take a bath must repent take a bath indicating the remission of your sins That's basically
1: what John is telling the Jewish community here.
0: Verse 4. In explaining this, he cites the words of the prophet Isaiah in the 40th chapter of Isaiah's book, saying, The voice of a man crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill brought low, and the rough ways smooth and all flesh shall see salvation of God again if the paths have been
1: overgrown and they are winding around obstacles clear away the obstacles get rid of the bends get rid of the curves and make this way straight And as we say it again, this is not an actual description of
0: the topography. Um, what we're speaking of here is it, it's a prophetic word delivered in a poetic imagery. Talking about what has to happen to people, you and I. To people in, in, in people's hearts as we prepare for the coming of the Messiah. Those who are proud and arrogant who have exalted themselves and appear as high mountains, they have to be brought low. And those who have been abased and oppressed, they have to be lifted up. All the thorns, the rocks, the stones and other obstacles that have filled our hearts have to be cleared. The crooked places have to be made straight. There are places need to be made smooth. Because he is already here. Amen? He is here. Yet,
1: we are not ready.
0: The thing is, once that happens, once we have cleared the path for him, then scripture records that all flesh will see the manifestation of the salvation of God. This is basically... A message to prepare for the presence of Jesus Christ. Amen. Verse 7 Then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, Brood of vipers! Very strange because he's been calling out to them. Now they've come. You'd expect him to be, you know, nice and kind and, you know, soft and, you know, welcoming. He calls them out for who they actually were. He they actually were. He does not mince words. So, brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Verse 8. Therefore, bear fruit worthy of repentance. Fruit that actually demonstrates repentance. In other words, let us see your true repentance. Not just and the fact that, you know, you're coming here to be baptized. No, let us see it in action, in your changed lives. Let your lives attest to the fact that you are indeed um, new creatures. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. And, you know, he's, speak- he's speaking to the claim of the Jews. they, they were fallen. And Jesus rebukes them about that again at some point. You know, they, God gave a covenant to Abraham and his seed forever. And you know, so the notion was that, given that we are the seed of Abraham, we are beneficiaries then of God's grace and uh, the covenant that He had with Abraham. And so, what that would then mean to an individual is, you know, you can excuse the kind of lifestyle I, uh, I see fit because, you know, it is sealed. The covenant is for me, and I am part of the agreement that Abraham had with God, so I can live out my life the way I please. So here, John says, do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Not say that to yourselves. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. God is able to raise up children for to Abraham from these stones. Verse 9, and even now an axe is laid to the root of the tree. Therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire.
1: As we move along to verse
0: 10 when it comes to being and making disciples that glorify God in all spheres of life, we can't do that effectively without talking about you know our work life. Uh, it doesn't matter what uh, your occupation is, but thing here is a disciple leaves out the routine lives out there, and it's something that we live out on a daily basis. It's not something that we live out. Occasionally And so John calls people to repentance and exhorts his audience to bear fruit. what now three different categories of people come up asking him then, after he exhorts them, "What then should we do?
1: What then should we do And notice his responses.
0: John does not give religious responses. He instead gives economic responses. economic responses. In verse 11, first John tells those who have an abundance of possessions, if you have two tunics, and if you have ample food, then you need to share that with those who have nothing. If you have two clocks, then give away One, to someone who doesn't have it. Here he's talking about what you and I do with our stuff. Amen? What you and I do with our stuff. What are our priorities? What are our priorities? Verse 12, the tax collectors are admonished to one, collect only what they should, rather than padding up the tax bill and, you know, pocketing the difference. In back to work ethics, that is work ethics 101. How do we treat others? How do we treat others? Now, if you look at the, the structure of the tax collection profession at that point, it was really marked by, you know, systemic injustice, cruelty, and and how the system functioned was that governors and other, you know, high-ranking officials kind of outsourced the right to collect taxes within their jurisdictions. And in order to win such a contract, then what needed to happen was that a potential tax collector then would have to agree to give the officials that you know uh, approve their tender. They would they would agree to to give them an amount that was over and above the collection. Okay, and at the same time, how did they make their their own cut? The tax collectors they had to then uh, mark it up a little so that even after giving out you know these bribes to the high-ranking officials, and handing in the tax, they would still have some little monies um, to, to, you know, to take care of their overheads. Strangely, the people had no way of telling what the actual Roman taxes were. So, you know, they had to pay whatever the tax collectors assessed them for. Looking at it, we may, we may relate it would have been quite hard to resist the temptation for self-enrichment. How do you not profit from such a venture? And it was almost impossible to win those bids without offering fat profits to the government officials. So, just position yourself in, in that scenario. And here you're being told, <laughs> you, know, you only collect what you should. Collect what you should. Speaking to the soldiers, verse 14, he says, don't abuse people. They're not to abuse their power by extorting money and um, accusing people falsely. They ought to be content with their wages.
1: It's quite interesting the way
0: None of these admonitions sound deeply spiritual. He didn't say need to go and
1: pray more, need to attend,
0: you know, go to the temple and, you know, be part of the fellowship a lot more than you are. No, he just mentions stuff that had to do with everyday life. He mentions stuff that had to do with everyday life and that's what it means to be a disciple it's an everyday thing amen. it's an everyday thing how do you live out your everyday
1: notice also that
0: John doesn't offer them the option to stop playing the roles that they were playing initially he doesn't ask them to, you know, stop being tax collectors. He doesn't ask them to stop being soldiers. He instructs them to instead bring justice to a system that was deeply marked by injustice. Bringing justice to a system that is deeply marked justice, systemic injustice. Can you, for a moment, imagine yourself in their shoes. How difficult would that task be? How difficult task. On verse 15. Now, as the people were in expectation and uh, all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not. And you know, What's happening here is from the scholarly work and, you know, those who had been looking at scripture, they anticipated a ruler. And so here comes this Elijah-like, Elijah look-alike. And so they're wondering, could this be him? Because they were, in fact, expecting Messiah. Messiah. And so verse 15 speaks to that. Now, as the people were in expectation and all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not, St. John answered, saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal straps I am not worthy to lose, He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, and fire. His, reining, his, his winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean up his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn. For the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire.
1: Verse 18 And
0: with many other exhortations he preached to the people verse 19, but Herod, the same Herod we were looking at at the the introductory bit of this scripture, but Herod the Tetrarch, being rebuked by him concerning Herodias. So what had happened was Herodias had been wife to his, apparently his brother, one of Herod's, Herod the Great's sons. And so then Whatever happens, now Herod finds himself with this sister-in-law of his as his wife. So John rebuked him concerning Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done. Verse 20 also added this, above all that he shut up John. Because of all that rebuke Herod Tetra could not take it. He made arrangement and had
1: John shut up in prison. Now we like John have
0: been sent to um, prepare people in our generation for Jesus' coming. For John it might have been Preparing the people in his day and age for Jesus' first coming but for you and I it is preparing them for
1: his return. Fact is it will involve calling out sin. Amen? It will involve
0: calling out sin as it is. It will involve reminding people of the impending judgment, the coming wrath that we cannot evade.
1: It will definitely cause us inconveniences and it may even turn people against us.
0: It may end up landing us in prison. It may even cost us our very lives.
1: Question is, are we ready
0: in this season, in this day and age, are we ready to allow the Lord's word to rest heavily upon us as it did John in his generation?
1: We're we ready for that. Big challenge for you and I.
0: Notice also that the tax collectors soldiers do not ask the questions that they do as mere individuals. They do so in groups. They ask these questions in groups and the question was what should we do? Even all that you've told us, what should we then do? What should we do? And that kind of makes me think is it possible then for occupational groups in this day and age to do the same? Because the Lord has a mission for us. Wherever it is that He has positioned us, He has a reason and a purpose and a mission for us. Are we able now? unique spheres of operation to ask these questions. What is God's intent for this specific work? What is God's
1: specific intent for my career?
0: And what that is alluding to is just the fact that how how is it that you and I in our present occupation can respond to the call of the gospel? How is it that you and I can respond to the call of
1: the gospel? Finally, the prophet John,
0: the Baptist, um, develops enough credibility with groups of workers to the point that they ask him these questions. They are willing to invite his input into their work ethics. And the question I pose to you and I is can groups of workers today find help from you and I today as disciples of Christ can we be approached by people of different work groups to bring input into their spheres to mutually discern what God intends their occupation and in their day-to-day lives. Can that happen? A big
1: challenge to you and I. The Lord help us. Shall we bow for prayer? Yes, indeed, you have positioned us where it is that you have positioned us, Lord.
0: We prepare the way for your second coming, O Lord. We may not know exactly how to go about it, but we thank you because as long as we will seek you and seek to hear from you, O Lord, your sweet spirit will direct us. And so we invite you, O Lord, to guide us. Help us know how it is that we may prepare the way for the coming Messiah.
1: As your power rests upon us
0: and infills us, give us the boldness that is required to move and to do that which you'd have us do in this time, in this day and age. And as we do this, Lord, be glorified and may your purposes be accomplished in our lives. We thank you, And we bless you, we honor you and we magnify you and the things we ask in Jesus' name.